But we're going to be reading from chapter 4, verse 21 to 34 of Mark's gospel. So Mark 4, 21 to 34. Uh, we do believe God speaks to us through his word. It's, it's live and living, you know, and uh, we believe God uses it to, to teach us and to guide us um, in life. So Mark chapter 4, verse 21. Let's read it together. I'm reading from the NIV. He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first a stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts a sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth, yet when Planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them, as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. This is the word of God. We're going to spend time with Corey now. Corey's going to open the word, open the Bible to us, and so we're going to go over to him now. Thanks. Hey, Providence Church, my name is Corey O'Grady, and I'm the pastor of Grace Church in Amsterdam. Uh, not too long ago, Mikey and Heidi were able to make a trip to Amsterdam, um, and by God's grace, we got connected while they were here, and it's been so great for me just to get to know them better and for them to get to know myself and my family better. And it's such a privilege to be able to just share from God's Word with you this morning. So today we're going to look at, as you've already heard, from Mark chapter 4, And we're going to talk about this idea of a kingdom identity, a kingdom identity. You know, we hear so much in our world about this idea of what's your identity, about knowing who we are, deciding who we are and what our truth is, and then seeing how that identity shapes our entire life. You know, I actually see this in my kids all the time. I have three daughters and my youngest one, her name is Charlotte, and she's two years old. And not too long ago, she was outside playing, and she saw this bird. And she looked back at me with this big smile, and she said, Dad, I'm a bird. And she started to run around and to wave her arms and to jump in the air, and then she stopped. And she looked back at me, and she was so sad. I said, What's wrong, Charlotte? And she said, Charlotte can't fly. In that moment, Charlotte was having an identity crisis. She had declared her truth, I am a bird. And she had tried to live out the truth of the identity that she had declared in her own power by flapping her wings and by jumping in the air in an attempt to fly. But in the end, both her truth claim and her power to live up to it failed her. In the passage that we're going to look at this morning in Mark chapter 4, Jesus talks about the identity of those that are in his kingdom. He talks about the truth, the power, and the flourishing that happen for those that are in his kingdom. But as we'll see in this text, this is an identity that's not created by us. 
it's one that's given to us. And that will change absolutely everything. Now, just a little bit of context for you for the book of Mark. And we get to Mark chapter 4. Jesus has already begun his public teaching ministry. And he's been teaching primarily about three things. We read this back in Mark chapter 1, or you would see it in Mark chapter 1. Jesus was teaching about the kingdom and repentance and belief. In this particular chapter, he's started using these stories called parables. These were fictional stories Jesus would use to teach about real spiritual truths. In the first part of this chapter, in Mark 4, verses 1 through 20, Jesus has already told this story about a sower, or one who goes out and throws seed out into the soil. And he's talked about how some of those seeds grow and some of them don't. The point of the parable was talking about how some people respond to the gospel and how others don't respond to the gospel. Some of them, their heart, because of God's grace, has been cultivated so that the soil of their heart is ready to hear, believe, and live in light of the good news of Jesus that's thrown out. But others aren't. But now Jesus moves into the next part of this chapter in Mark chapter 4, and he focuses on the idea of the kingdom. And that's where we pick up in verses 21 through 34 today. That brings us to our first section of the text, and that's a kingdom of truth that we'll see in verses 21 through 25. A kingdom of truth. Jesus starts talking about the way that his kingdom is being revealed. See, in verses 1 through 20, he had talked about that the kingdom had been kept secret from some people. And at this point, he's already anticipating the questions in the minds and hearts of his followers. Jesus, why would you keep your kingdom, this good thing, a secret? Why would you hide it? And as we read there in the text, Jesus kind of poses some questions out loud that he knew were in the hearts of his followers. Questions like, if you have a lamp, why would you hide it under a basket or under a bed and not put it on a stand where it can give light to the room? Jesus, why would you keep your kingdom hidden? Why wouldn't you fully reveal it right now? And Jesus, being aware of the questions of his disciples, wants to answer them. He wants to tell them what will happen with this lamp, what will happen with the light that is his kingdom. Jesus says this. He says, For nothing is hidden except to reveal it or make it manifest. Nor is anything kept secret except to bring it into the light. Jesus is saying that keeping the truth of his kingdom hidden at this point in his ministry is not the permanent or long-term plan. That little by little, his kingdom will be revealed. And eventually, nothing will be kept secret or go untouched from the goodness, light, and truth of his kingdom. So what does that mean for the disciples who are listening to Jesus right now? As they're seeing Jesus reveal his kingdom little by little, truth by truth, what should they do? What should be their response to this kingdom truth that Jesus is revealing little by little? And Jesus says this, If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus said something similar in verse 9, just earlier in this chapter. Jesus is saying, if God has given you the gift, if he has worked in your heart to where you truly hear, see, understand, and want to live in light of what Jesus is teaching, he says, 
If you can hear like that, keep hearing. If you're listening like that, keep listening. Jesus says, pay attention to what you're hearing. He tells the disciples, with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you and still more will be added. Jesus says, if God has given you ears to truly hear my words, keep listening and obeying them. Jesus is telling us, your obedience to the truth that you hear is directly linked to understanding more and more truth about Jesus. But he's not saying this in order for us to be able to rank ourselves. Like, I know so much more truth and I'm so much more obedient than everyone else. That's not what he's saying. That's not what he's calling us to. It's not about a rank of righteousness. It's about a relationship. See, we don't obey God just to gain more knowledge about him. We obey God so that in the obeying, we can actually come to know God more deeply. Think of of it this way. My wife, her name's Kaylee. If I know a way that I can love her well, I should do it. I should live out, I should obey that truth that I know. And in loving her well, do you know what happens? I actually begin to know her better and know how to love her even more deeply than before. Only in obeying what we know about God from his word will we actually learn more and more and therefore know God more deeply. See, the identity of those who are in Jesus' kingdom comes from hearing and living his truth. And in doing so, we know more deeply the good, right, and perfect king of this kingdom. Jesus says, For the one who has, more will be given. For the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Jesus is saying this, The one whose heart, the person whose heart hears, receives, and bears fruit in light of the truth of the kingdom, that person will receive even more understanding of the kingdom, which leads to even more fruit in their lives. But for those who don't, for those who continually reject the message of Jesus and his kingdom, they'll become like the hardened path that Jesus talked about earlier in this chapter in another parable. He's saying that eventually, even these small seeds of truth about the kingdom will no longer be thrown out to them. They will, their life will continue as if the truth of God's kingdom had never even been presented to them. That brings us to the second section of our text today, a kingdom of power, a kingdom of power. We see this in verses 26 through 29. The disciples are learning now more and more about this kingdom, how Jesus has said his kingdom and the truth of that kingdom are being revealed little by little. But the disciples have to be wondering, as you and I might be wondering, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, what is our role in the grand plan of kingdom growth. As God is growing his kingdom, a kingdom of people who hear, accept, and live in light of his truth, what's our role, what's our identity as citizens of this kingdom and how God will grow and expand it? Well, Jesus tells another story, another parable. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a man sowing seed. Here we're back again to this idea that he mentioned in verses 1 through 20. Someone going out to throw seed on the ground so that it hopefully will grow and bear fruit. But Jesus says that we as Christians, we should be doing this. We should be going and casting out the good news, the truth of God, wherever we go. 
But is that it? I mean, is that like is that our only responsibility to be speaking and living out the truth of God? I mean, surely there has to be more that we're supposed to do. But look at what Jesus says next. Look at what the man does next in this parable in verses 26 through 29. Jesus says, the man casts out the seed and then he goes to sleep. That's not really what I was expecting to read in this passage. Maybe you weren't as well. Jesus says, the sower throws out the seed and then he goes to sleep. He wakes up the next day and then he goes to sleep and he wakes up. And over time, that seed sprouts and grows and bears fruit. It grows and keeps on growing. But the seed in this parable Jesus is telling doesn't grow because of the person that threw it out onto the soil. It grows because of what the seed is and where the seed falls. See, the seeds are the words of God, the truth of God about him and his kingdom. It's the good news of Jesus, the good news of the gospel. And it's falling on the soil of hearts that God has cultivated to be ready to hear, receive, and live in light of that truth. See, the best thing the sower can do, as we look at it in this parable from Jesus, the best thing a sower can do, the best thing a kingdom citizen can do, is throw out the truth of God's word in word and deed, and then go to sleep. In other words, we graciously proclaim the truth of God. And then we trust God to do everything else. Martin Luther was once asked how he had so much influence, was able to be a part of so much change in regard to the Catholic Church during what's known as the Reformation era. He was asked how had he seen so many people start to believe again that God could save them and bring them into his kingdom because of just his sheer mercy and grace, not because of anything they had done. This is what Luther said in his answer of how he was able to be so influential. Martin Luther said this, I simply taught, preached, and wrote God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. And while I slept or drank Wittenberg beer with my friends Philip and Amsdorf, the word so greatly weakened the papacy that no prince or emperor ever inflicted such losses upon it. I did nothing. The word did nothing everything. Martin Luther knew, as we should, that the reason that God's kingdom grows, the reason that more people are brought into his kingdom, the reason that the soil of someone's heart is ready to receive and bear fruit in light of the truth of God is not because of us. So then how does it happen? Only by the power of God. But what's the extent of this? In the grand scheme of God's eternal kingdom, how long will his word and power sustain kingdom growth? Well, we see it here in the parable. It says that when the seed is thrown out, the man goes to sleep and wakes up, and it says the earth produces by itself. Little by little, it grows and grows and grows until the harvest is ready, till that seed is full grown and has produced fruit. It says when the grain is ripe, then it's time for the harvest. Jesus is saying from the beginning of the kingdom until the kingdom is complete, from start to finish, none of it happens because of us. It's all because of God's power. Now, does that mean that we're not supposed to be doing anything? Well, no. Let's think about it this way. 
God calls us as citizens of, king, of his kingdom in our kingdom identity to be participants in the process of kingdom growth. But we are not the power behind kingdom growth. Let me say that one more time. As citizens of the kingdom of Jesus, as Christians, we are called to be participants in the process of kingdom growth, but we are not the power behind kingdom growth. As I was thinking about this, I recalled a memory uh, from a few years ago when my family and I, although we live in Amsterdam, we're originally from the United States, and we were back there visiting my family, and my dad has a boat, and he loves to take all of us out on the water when we're back for a visit. So we're out on this boat, and my older two girls, who at the time would have been around seven and five, were in the boat. And one at a time, my dad called them up and said, hey, come up here, I want you to sit with me, and you can participate with me as we drive the boat. And so my oldest daughter came first, and she sat on my dad's lap, and she put her hands on the steering wheel of that boat. But in that moment... Who was actually in complete control of that situation? It was my dad. He was the one still with his hands on the wheel knowing where to go, about how to get there, about how to drive the boat safely. See, my daughter was participating in this experience of driving the boat, but the power and responsibility of us getting to our destination safely, of having a successful boat ride, that power rested in my dad and my dad alone. That's what God does with us. He calls us to participate with him in kingdom work. But as we do, what we get to experience is all the joy of that kingdom participation, knowing that the responsibility and power behind it is in God and God alone. As my daughter sat there with my dad, she was full of so much joy on the boat that day. She loved it. But in that moment, she was simply participating with him and yet getting to receive the fullness of joy that came through his power and his responsibility of guiding the boat that day. If you remember, uh, just a few weeks ago, we celebrated Easter. And the Sunday before Easter is known as Palm Sunday. And at our church, we looked at Luke's account of Palm Sunday. And if, if you know this story, if you're, if you're familiar with it, it's this time that right before Jesus is about to die, He's coming with his disciples into Jerusalem. And as they're coming into this city, his disciples start to call out. They're throwing out seed, if you will. They're talking about the good news of the kingdom of Jesus. And they're saying, Jesus is king. The kingdom is at hand. Come and be part of this. Come see Jesus the king. Hail King Jesus. And as they were doing this, some of the religious leaders of the time said to Jesus, tell your followers to be quiet. Tell them to stop doing that. Tell them to stop casting out this seed of the good news of the kingdom. But you know what Jesus said to them? He said, even if I tell them to be quiet, the rocks will cry out. God will grow his kingdom in his power no matter what. But what a privilege that he calls us to participate in it and experience the joy of kingdom growth. Not because he needs us. That story of Palm Sunday reminds us that our role of participation in kingdom growth, God could easily replace us with some rocks. That's how much we're contributing to this process. And yet he calls us to participate. Why? 
because he wants us to experience the joy that is seeing his power at work to grow his kingdom. Now Jesus finishes this section in Mark by talking about what the kingdom will look like as God grows it from start to finish. That brings us to our third section today. We'll call it a kingdom of glory. This is verses 30 through 34, a kingdom of glory. Jesus tells another short story or parable. He begins comparing the kingdom to a tiny little mustard seed. This little seed is so small, the text says. It's humble. It's tiny. It seems really insignificant. But is that not how the kingdom of Jesus seems to be beginning as you read about it in the Bible? Think about this. Jesus was born in a stable, placed in a manger. His earthly father, Joseph, was a carpenter, not a person of immense wealth or power. As Jesus begins his ministry, he's calling followers, calling disciples, who were fishermen, tax collectors, political zealots. This was a group of men who would be seen as common at best, or disgraceful and fanatical at worst. Jesus begins his ministry not in Jerusalem, the capital, but in much smaller cities and towns. He begins his ministry there and then teaches for three years before he's sentenced to death and dies by crucifixion. Now, if you were laying out a plan for how a kingdom would grow, if your desire was to see something grow which would change not only the course of humanity, but eternally impact the entire universe. That's about the most humble beginning you could have. But this humble beginning, Jesus says, it leads to something else. It leads to this kingdom of Jesus, which will be completed gloriously. In the text, Jesus says, Yet when this seed is sown, this tiny little mustard seed, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so big that birds can make a nest in its shade. This tiny seed, this humble beginning of God's kingdom, will grow and grow and grow. And this same lowly, humble Jesus, who died on the cross, would rise again three days later as our ruling and reigning king. And his kingdom continues to grow even today. It will continue to grow so much that in the garden of human history, it will be larger and more grand than anything else. So what does this kingdom full grown look like? We get just a glimpse of what it will look like at the end of the Bible. The book of Revelation verse in chapter 21. If you looked at the first eight verses, you would see that this glorious, complete, full grown kingdom is when God is with his people. And the citizens of his kingdom are enjoying him forever and this kingdom with ever, forever. A kingdom without suffering, without death, and without pain. And all of those who are enemies of God have been justly punished. God's glorious, completed, full-grown kingdom will have perfect relationships in a perfect environment with perfect justice. That's what will grow from this tiny seed, from such a humble beginning. In its completion, it will be perfect, eternal, and glorious. Now, I want us to think about 
just a big idea that ties back to how all of these truths about the kingdom of Jesus affect us and our identity. Consider this today. Because the kingdom of Jesus is full of his truth, power, and glory. Those who call Jesus their king have an identity which is true, strong, and certain. That means this. We don't have to search for truth if we are a citizen in Jesus' kingdom, if we have his kingdom identity. We don't have to search for truth, but instead we must only obey the kingdom truth that we are given. This is such good news for us. This is such good news for you and I, that we don't have to go out into this complicated, complex world and figure out on our own what's true. The weight of that is so crushing and overwhelming that I have to determine in the grand scheme of the universe what is ultimately true. No, no, in a kingdom identity that Jesus gives, he says, I'll give you the truth. I'll reveal it to you. I'll show it to you. All you have to do in my identity is simply obey the truth that I give. This identity in Jesus that's full of his truth, power, and glory We don't have to grow his kingdom in our power, but instead we can rest in the power of God to grow his kingdom. If you're a Christian today, if you're a follower of Jesus, you would say, I have an identity in Jesus and Jesus alone that he has given me. What great news that the continued growth of this kingdom doesn't depend on us. That we can simply go out and share the truth, not that we've created or had to discover, just the truth that Jesus has given to us in his word and by his spirit. We can simply share that truth in our words, in our lives. And then, as the passage said, go to sleep and trust God to do what God does to grow his kingdom in his power. Because this kingdom of Jesus is full of his truth, power, and glory, we don't have to wonder if this kingdom and our identity in it will last. But instead, we can know with certainty that this glorious kingdom will never end. It is such good news that if the identity that we're given as being part of Jesus' kingdom is based on his truth, power, and the certain glory of his kingdom, we don't have to be worried about how all of this will pan out. We'll know that because it's based on Jesus and Jesus alone, that our end is sure. It's certain. And therefore, we can go through this life with such great and certain hope and joy. Maybe though today you're thinking, how can I be part of this kingdom? I don't think I have an identity that's been given to me by Jesus. I think I've been just trying to create my own identity. How can that change in someone's life? Well, it looks like this. If you think about the idea of kings and kingdoms, having identity in Jesus' kingdom begins with renouncing all other kings and kingdoms. See, we love trying to be the king of our own life. Jesus says we have to repent or turn away from that and see him as the one true, good, right, and perfect king. We have to repent or turn away from our sin. Sin, the Bible says, is this. It's doing things our way instead of the way our good, right, and perfect king, Jesus, says that we should do them. And as we turn away from being the king of our own life and we turn away from doing uh, things our way, we turn towards something else, and it's belief. We believe that our sin, our rebellion against King Jesus and his kingdom, deserves consequences. Our sin should keep us out of God's kingdom. 
and it deserves just punishment. But today we can believe that in his death on the cross, Jesus took the punishment that sinners like us deserve as rebels against God's kingdom. And we can believe that Jesus rose from the dead three days after he died, proving that he is the king who reigns over all things, even death itself. If you believe that today, then King Jesus is giving you a new identity that's based on him and him alone. A new identity which comes from his truth, his power, and the certainty of his glorious kingdom. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you so much for the truth that is your word that you've given to us. I thank you so much for your power that is at work in our lives and in this world. Father, I thank you for the certainty that is your kingdom that is already and that one day will be fully realized. God, I pray today that we will live knowing that if we are in Jesus, if we are followers of him, that he gives us a good, right, and perfect identity. It's based not on who we are or what we've done, but on who Jesus is and what he has done. God, if there's anyone who's just listening today and considering these things, who has not yet become part of your kingdom, I pray that you would be at work in their hearts. God, I know that no words I could ever say or any other human being could ever say could really convince them at the deepest levels, that only you can do that. So God, I pray that you will be at work in their heart even today to bring them to belief, to bring them into your kingdom. God, we thank you so much for King Jesus. We thank you for his reign and his goodness. We pray all of these things in the name of King Jesus. Amen.